Welcome to Microdose Psychedelic Insights, powered by The Conscious Fund. This is the Sci-Fi series, discovering the cutting-edge science and research in psychedelic medicine. Welcome back, everybody, to another exciting episode of the Sci-Fi Podcast, where we talk to leading industry experts, clinicians, and researchers to unravel the mystery that is psychedelic science. I'm very excited for today's episode. I have the fortune of recording in sunny Mexico, and I'm here with Dr. Marvin Hausman of Pills Biosciences. He's conducting some really exciting research, and I'm really grateful that you're joining us. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Dr. Hausman. Well, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, oh, you're in sunny Mexico. I'm in sunny Florida, so that's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, We're both in a, in a warm place. Trying to yeah. move to a position where we don't have much glare in my glasses. I think that's a little bit better. So we'll see. Uh, yeah, you look you look great. So, Dr. Hausman, it'd be wonderful. You know, we've had a, a, a lot of opportunity to connect in. You had the Mushroom Conference uh, in, in November. Uh, but for our listeners, if you could just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and your work, that would be a fantastic way to start this conversation. Well, I'm a medical doctor. I graduated from New York University School of Medicine. Um, I also uh, was an immunologist uh, during medical school, and I helped uh, do some of the early research on the HLA system, which types people for kidney transplants at that time. And my career then went on to general surgery, and then I was drafted um, uh, temporarily into the Marine Corps for Vietnam, and my orders were changed, and I was sent to NIH, where I uh, did further immunology research on the complement system, and I was one of the, the people who um, uncovered the third and fifth component of complement with Dr. Ralph Snyderman at NIH. He was my mentor. And then I was accepted to the transplant program at UCLA. Uh, and I became a kidney transplant surgeon and then went on to uh, work on dialysis. And uh, my career uh, took off. I was a drug developer for Bristol-Myers and um, for Squibb. I developed some, some well-known drugs, then I formed a company that went on the New York Stock Exchange called Medco Research, and we then had our own cardiovascular drugs. In 1998, the company was purchased by King Pharmaceuticals. I went on to into Alzheimer's disease, uh, formed a company called Exonix. I was one of the founders, so was co-founder, um, and we then merged that company into Tory Pines Pharmaceutical. And then I became very involved in nutrition. <clears throat> I um, turned my attention to mushrooms, um, and not the psilocybin type. This was just nutritional mushrooms. Uh, sure. There are about 10 major edible mushrooms. And I started looking for substances in mushrooms that are produced inherent to the nature of the product but that can't be reproduced in humans. So there are substances in nature that we need, and I set out to prove that, that we don't manufacture. One of them is something called ergothionine, which is an amino acid in mushrooms. And that amino acid uh, cannot be produced by humans or mammals. But you have a transport system, and that was discovered by the Germans, by Dr. Gundermann. And nine, about 10 years ago, uh, Dr. Grunemann um, showed that you had your stem cells, white cells, and red cells, that there's a, mush, that there's a substance, um, uh, an ergothionine transporter, a protein in the cell membrane. And the only function of that transporter protein is to move ergothionine into the human cell. 
Now, why would you have a transporter and you can't manufacture the passenger for the transporter? How important is a substance in life? And the Germans went on to hypothesize that you couldn't have human life without ergothionine, that ergothionine neutralizes single-let oxygen, S-I-G, S-I-N-G-L-E-T, single-let oxygen, which is oxygen that's unbalanced, it's minus one. And so when life moved from the sea onto the land, and I try not to get involved in religion or politics, <laughs> um, I'm just thinking of evolution. Sure. Cells started producing oxygen and killed themselves because they're producing singlet oxygen. When they figured out that they had histamine in their, uh, not histamine, histidine amino acid in their cytoplasm, they said, oh, we can manufacture ergothionine. And you can't, you can only manufacture ergothionine naturally from histidine. And so uh, they then were able to uh, neutralize the singlet oxygen and life began. Uh, and I've been fascinated with this concept of ergothionine. Then vitamin D2 is also produced by mushrooms. Humans produce D3. It's not a vitamin, it's a hormone, by the way, it's misnamed. A vitamin is something that humans can't produce. If you produce it, it's not a vitamin. But in those days, they thought that it was a vitamin. So D3 is really a hormone, a pro-hormone that becomes stored as a hormone, and then it's released when you need it, and it becomes activated. Mushrooms produce D2, which is similar to D3, and we now feel that D2 supplements D3. So by eating mushrooms or taking D2 supplements from mushrooms or ergothionine, you're supplementing major components of your general nutrition system. And then I was approached about, oh, in July, June this year by a group in Germany that says, you know, Houseman, with your background, maybe you'd like to help a company in Canada, which was called Pills Bioscience Corp. And I said, they said, it's psilocybin. I said, well, psilocybin is natural. It comes from mushrooms. I said, I <laughs> so, and that's part of my relationship with Pills Bioscience. And then I chose to show uh, an un, a need in in a, in a devastating disease. I chose or, or I chose autism because it's unmet. And whether in your own family or other families, you always come across a family that has an autistic uh, uh, relative or child. Um, it's a disease that's unmet in terms of diagnosis and therapy. And so that's what I've been focused on. Wow, that is an incredible answer, Dr. Hausman. There's so many different facets of that uh, introduction I, I want to comment on and I, I'd love to share uh, and talk about. I think your work with HLA is so exciting. Uh, as we talked about, my uh, first author paper is in third time lung transplantation or second time lung retransplantation and, and looking at how that correlates with death risk. And it's just been really fascinating to be able to take my clinical experience and scientific background and bring it into the psychedelic space uh, and to, you know, be able to understand people like you and the work you've done and the contributions you're making, it's all very exciting. Uh, so I guess my next question would be, now that you are finding yourself doing research in this uh, very exciting and dynamic space, uh, what are you most excited about? And, you know, it's really interesting you talked about how mushrooms 
produce these compounds or we have substrates or we have um, pathways in our body that require us to be able that only work um, with compounds in, in mushrooms. So we talked a little bit about biomarkers that you're looking at. Uh, these are all things I'd be interested to hear more about. Um, but just first, it'd be interesting to know, you know, what you're looking forward to now that you're working in the psychedelic medicine space. Well, do we have five hours? I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah, right. I know we don't have five hours. No, this, is, this is quite a question. I'm, the first thing that excites me is that it's an open pathway. Mm -hmm. The psychedelic research is, is a child that's just being brought home from the hospital. The mother had just delivered the child. We're just beginning psychedelic research. We have to have it catch up to medical technology, medicine is yeah. way ahead of the psychedelic industry. Psychedelic industry is based on subjective behavioral changes. And I feel that we need to use hard objective evidence in medical technology to prove out the psychedelic field. I mean, this it's, yeah. it's, isn't it exciting to come into a field where you can add something? And for example, I think autism has subsets of the disease. Why do they call it a spectrum? Spectrum means it's a lot. Right. Uh, there are probably subsets. So when you don't know what it is, you call it a spectrum. Autism spectrum disorder. There may be 10 subspecies of autistic children or subsets of disorders. And so I find it exciting to grab onto that and to run, so to speak, with that football because it gives me creativity every day to think of what can I do today that's different from yesterday? And that's what yeah. that keeps me alive. Absolutely, and so I, I would love to know a little bit, like you talked about the the field right now being so nascent, you know, a lot of the uh, markers that people are looking at are subjective, you know, is your depression better? Do you still qualify for having PTSD? Uh, but it's so fascinating that you're looking at an issue like autism and that you're looking for concrete biomarkers. So how are you going about doing that? What are some biomarkers you're, you're looking for right now in your research? And you know, what do you hope to find? Well, let, let's take example of, let's simplify it down. You're a patient and you're not feeling well, you go to the doctor and he says, oh, you know, you have high blood pressure and I'm gonna put you on this pill to lower your blood pressure. So you go home, you come back to the doctor a week later and he says, how are you feeling? You say, oh, I feel great. You're a genius. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then he said, so the, he says, I don't you know. I feel wonderful. You were wonderful. Well, the doctor says, don't you think we ought to take your blood pressure to see if it went down? Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I understand right. the subjective feeling that you're, you're feeling better. And that's the same thing in, in the field of medicine. When you use a bias, a subjective behavioral analysis, they're very important. Behavioral analysis is very important. So the whole beginning of the psychedelic field is obviously based on behavioral changes and, and moving people into a different space mentally. But for example, if everybody says, and I'll give you another example, uh, psilocybin works through serotonin. It's a serotonin response. Well, 95% of serotonin is produced outside the brain. Only 5% is produced in the brain. Why is that? Yeah, the rest is produced in our, in our gut. The body. Why did the process of development put, or whatever force you believe in, put serotonin in the periphery? And by the way, 
the serotonin that's pr produced in the small intestine, for example, cannot cross into the blood-brain barrier because it's hydrophilic, it attracts water. And you need to have different, you have to have an active mechanism to move it into the brain. So it doesn't move in. So that's a conundrum. And that's what I want to prove. I want to see, is it involved in diabetes? Is it involved in liver disease? Uh, you know, where wow. besides autism is it involved? Why did nature put it in the mushroom, which is a food that acts on serotonin and 95% of serotonin is produced in the small intestine and the bone marrow. We've got a lot wow. to learn here. And, and that brings us to the microbiome. Right. So human being is composed of 30 trillion human cells and 100 trillion bacteria. We're three to one bacteria. Bacteria, if you think about it, control us. We're controlled by bacteria that makes up our body. We don't even know that. So our bacteria controlling our mind, our bacteria controlling serotonin release. And that's what I'm looking at diagnostically, to look at bacteria and the changes genetically in bacteria. In autism, for example, I'm taking one model, being very specific, and also looking at cytokines, these inflammatory molecules that are produced by bacteria and by other cells in your body. So it's a three-legged stool. It has three legs. One leg is behavior, behavior modification. The other leg is the microbiome. And the third leg are inflammatory molecules called cytokines. And if you take any one leg off, you're going to fall down, aren't you? The chair is not going to support you. So that's yeah. my approach to this disease called autism. And it's my approach to the psychedelic industry. I love that. I really love how you're looking at the microbiome. And, uh, you know, I have noticed some of the research that's come out lately that's correlated the impact of the microbiome to autism spectrum disorder. So I think that's a really valuable and, uh, you know, novel pursuit that you're taking with your research. One of the things we talked about uh, that, you know, a message you wanted to get across to people was how to actually properly uh, design and conduct these uh, preclinical and clinical trials in the psychedelic space. Uh, and I know you know a lot about the proper way to really design an effective trial. So maybe you could share a little bit about that and uh, you know how you're going about designing the trials you're conducting now. Well, my, my, my clinical expertise has always been in designing clinical trials. I've done, I've been designed or helped on six to seven NDAs, which are new drug applications with the United States government, wow. for big companies, including my own. So there's an art form to doing that. You have to look at life like a chess game. You move your pieces. Mm. Medical research is no different than playing chess. You move your pieces forward. You don't want to move them back. You don't want to make a mistake because people suffer when you make mistakes. Um, and the, one of the things that you do before you start research is to um, look at the literature. Look at what's out there. Like, for example, when I was looking at autism, I found that there was one or two articles that showed that when you treat autistic children with antibiotics, they got they had improvement in their symptoms. Wow. 
And that pointed me towards the microbiome. And then we find that when there's stressful situations that autistic children, for example, deteriorate in terms of their behavior. Why? What is stress through that? Is it inflammation? And I had worked on post-traumatic stress disorder and suicide, and we think that suicide may be an inflammatory reaction. That's why people commit suicide. Wow. And that that's a really exciting, uh, it's a really interesting, sorry to interrupt you. It's a really interesting angle. Oh, a very, and I did this work with Michael J. Fox Foundation. We did a Parkinson study uh, in an animal. We we took the human gene, it was done by another company, and put it into the Uh brain of the the mouse. And the mouse then has autistic, uh, not autistic, but Parkinson like behavior. But if you look back, in the history of Parkinson's disease. Dr. Parkinson, so they called it after his name, most of those patients had intestinal problems. They had irritable bowel syndrome. And when we looked at the mouse model, that mouse had intestinal issues as well. So the theory now is that this neuroinflammatory condition called Parkinson's disease doesn't start in the brain. It starts in the small intestine with bacteria. And these bacteria produce cytokines that migrate up the vagus nerve into the substantia nigra, a particular area of the brain where Parkinson's disease occurs. So and we, then does it kill does it kill off dopamine neurons in the brain at that stage? Well, you know that L-dopa, we don't know that, but you know, first of all, dopamine, again, is a molecule that's more produced in the periphery than the brain. It doesn't cross the brain blood-brain barrier, but you have to get something called levodopa, L-E-V-O-D-O-P-A, which is a precursor to dopa, and that crosses the blood-brain barrier and that creates uh, dopamine in the brain. So we do know, and so you treat Parkinson's patients with levodopa. Right. But the concept I wanna get is the, the interaction between the microbiome and disease processes. And again, inflammation right. as well. Parkinson's is a neuroinflammatory disorder. Alzheimer's is a neuroinflammatory disorder. Depression could be a neuroinflammatory disorder. Depression is, if you're a manic depressive, that's a genetic disorder. But acute Mm -hmm. depression is probably a neuroinflammatory process. And what role- I wonder wonder if, you know, a a conversation that's been happening a lot in the psychedelic space lately is that there must be some central mechanism or something that is- in common to all these different disorders, be it depression, PTSD, anxiety, uh, end-of-life anxiety, for example, there must be something core and central to them all that, you know, we're finding psychedelics are able to work across the board for all these different conditions so effectively. And after talking to you, it seems that, you know, a lot of people are thinking maybe there's some foundational or basic brain mechanism that it's acting on, but there's a possibility uh, that it might be altering our gut microbiome and that could be the central focus of all of these different conditions and that's what you're researching i think that's so interesting well if you're talking to me right so there's a language between us Mm -hmm. 
English language. We're now using English. But there's a language yeah. in the body. These bacteria are talking to our cells. I don't mean mm -hmm. wax. <laughs> like I'm on hallucinogenic drugs and talking to you right now. But I'm telling you, there's a language we don't know. And when you say yeah. the role of the microbiome, well, they're producing molecules, language that communicates with receptors and organs in the body. We're now looking at the brain, but what receptors is psilocybin communicating in the liver? What receptors mm. is it communicating in the small intestine? Can psilocybin be a treatment for irritable bowel syndrome or, or Crohn's disease or celiac disease? Why is it produced by the intestine? I think the jury is still out, and that's what excites me. I know we have companies that are mainly looking in the brain and, and looking at uh, you know, use of psilocybin in cancer and depression, uh, looking at psilocybin and other, they say you're opening up another space in the brain where this client or patient can go to, and, and, it's, and it's, 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 it's healing. But what is the mechanism? What's the underlying mechanism of action of these hallucinogenic compounds, these tryptamine derivatives? And that's what I'm setting up in autism, using that as my focus, and to look at the intestine, to look at fecal changes in autistic individuals, to look at inflammatory markers or, or, or the language of inflammation in, in or animals with autism, in humans with autism, and also look at behavioral modification. So we have an ongoing study now in Italy with a VPA rat, a valproic rat. Valproate is an anti-epileptic drug. So if you have a pregnant mother, this is where they, I think, uncovered the idea here and the relationship is you treat this pregnant uh, mother with valproate for epilepsy, uh, she has an increased tendency to have autistic children. So Dr. Treza in Italy has created a model and other science have validated this model um, where you treat the pregnant rats uh, with VPA, valproic acid. And the pups or the children of these rats are autistic. They have behavioral abnormalities. Uh, they have social interactions that are abnormal. And that's what we're studying. But on top of that, I've overlaid a paradigm of microbiome analysis, of cytokine analysis. And so we've already uh, laid the groundwork. So we started this study uh, in July this year, and we have a lab in Vienna, Austria, where we're measuring cytokines with a company called Thermo Fisher, which is one of the largest genetic companies in the world. And in Canada, we're measuring microbiome changes genetically with a company called Microbiome Insights. So now we have discovered biomarkers specific to autism that can be potentially modified as you see your behavioral changes. So these they were control animals and behavioral, severely behavioral modified animals because of valproic acid. And we now have that groundwork. And now we're going to treat a similar population 
with psilocybin. And then we're going to compare the changes in behavior with the modulation of the cytokines and the microbiome. So that study is underway, and we, we hope to start the treatment program the beginning of January. Um, wow. We'll have some data coming out next year. Well, that is so fascinating, the studies that you just talked about going on. It's really cool that you're correlating changes in the microbiome and the gut to these valproic uh, rats that have been uh, you know, administered VPA so their pups have uh, show autistic characteristics. Uh, so I guess one thing I can't help but wonder about, let's say that you do, your research pans out the way you want to, and it turns out psilocybin is able to attenuate autistic symptoms or, you know, effectively treat the disorder. Um, something I, I talked with Jackie about, which is really interesting at the mushroom conference, is what would this translate to as far as an actual therapy goes for autistic children in the future? Would that entail giving them psilocybin? Of course, that raises some really interesting ethical concerns. Do you think maybe it would be some sort of non-hallucinogenic derivative or analog of psilocybin? Or what do you see this looking like down the road when it's actually going to make it to humans and autistic kids? Yeah, no, it's an excellent question. Um, first of all, what we're going to establish, uh, hopefully in the first quarter of next year, 2021, is what is the dosing that's going to get a response in the VPA treated, you know, in the VPA population of rats. Then we can translate that dosage to a human dosage. And then the next step would be pharmacokinetic studies in humans. Obviously, we're not going to do children right away. We're going to do adults. But we're also going to be uh, looking for data in the microbiome changes and the cytokine changes, the inflammatory markers. So we're now thinking ahead. As I said, you, you, life is a chess game, research mm -hmm. chess game. And there's something that you use in the cannabis world called entourage effect. You say you have an entourage effect because the whole is more effective than the individual components. So nature put other derivatives in the weed, the cannabinoid. Okay. In cannabinoids, you have THC, you have CBD1, CBD2. It goes on and on and on, different receptors, and people talk about an entourage effect. Well, I want to show whether there is an entourage effect in the psychedelic field. So I am now producing other derivatives. You'll hear about it. We're gonna probably make an announcement in the near term that we are gonna be one of the first companies to create an entourage formulation for autism. Wow. Formulation, we're picking certain derivatives that may lower the side effects, which you just said, of psilocybin. Then we're also going to be looking not just in, in big doses, we're going to be looking at microdosing. And with the derivatives, we may need small doses that are very safe in children. Mm. And we hope to have a lot of this knowledge next year. I think 2021 is going to be a quite a year for the research we're doing at, at Pills Bioscience Corporation. Oh, I think so too. I'm really, really excited to see the the exciting developments and you know the the new steps in the research that you guys are taking. And you know, a lot of things came to mind. I guess one of the questions I have is, do you think 
that you'll be able to, in one or two treatments or in a, a protocol treatments, actually cure autism? Or do you think through a microdose formulation or some, you know, an entourage effect that's specifically formulated for autism, it will just be able to way more effectively attenuate the side or the, the symptoms of the disorder, but maybe not actually cure it at its core. You know, I have to quote a guy who I admire. I never knew, met him. His name is Plato, okay? okay. <laughs> Philosopher. And Plato said, you never know the answer. You only approach the answer. So <laughs> I'm not, answer. <laughs> I put my pants on one leg at a time. Yeah. <laughs> I can predict the answer. But on the other hand, if I sure. think outside the box, uh -huh. I mean, you just gave me an idea. If, it, if I modulate the microbiome, what if I combine psychedelics with antibiotics? Yeah. We yeah, may not have options there. I haven't even thought about it till right now as we're talking. I mean, maybe maybe the psychedelic has to be in combination with an antibiotic regimen. And maybe we can we could reverse this condition. But I think we yeah. have we have to differentiate a genetic cause of autism versus a developmental cause of autism. That's a really good uh, differentiation you made, a developmental versus genetic cause. Because, you know, another thing I was thinking about, like in these rats, you give them VPA and you know that the litter will be born with autistic symptoms. So maybe just since we're speculating in this podcast, uh, that's what, what, what we do, there's a possibility to identify that our progeny is going to be autistic before they're born and possibly give them beneficial factors or drug treatments when they're still in the womb to maximize their chances of maybe not being autistic when they're born or having the best likelihood of success. So I, my daughter is, uh, I have several doctors in my family. My son is a, a regional anesthesiologist. I told them none of them to go into medicine. They don't listen. So my daughter, <laughs> my daughter is paternal fetal medicine doctor. She's, uh, she's the small wow. family. She's very, she's brilliant. Uh -huh. uh, probably everybody says their daughter's brilliant, but she is. She graduated one of the, one of the top medical schools and the top of her class in the United States, uh, Yale, wow. for example. Graduate from Yale, one of the top medical wow, that's So I, about a year ago, I've been I was researching the microbiome. I was researching ergothiamine. Uh, uh, let me just turn off this phone here. Get started. Sorry about that. That's all good. Uh, uh, I should have turned it off before. So I said, Nicole, no I just came across this article where um, when the children who are born by C-section have a deficient immune system. Oh, wow. And compared to those who are born through the vaginal canal. So I called up my daughter, maternal fetal medicine is, she does high risk pregnancy uh, with uh, others and children in, in the utero. So I said, Nicole, are you aware of this? Or she said, dad, we knew this about two years ago. And what we do when we have a C-section child, we take a, a, a cotton tip swab and we transfer the microbiome from the vagina into the nose of the newborn child. Wow. Wow. I never Think considered about that. that that was a 
I never considered that would be the reason why that they're missing out on some of the bacteria through a vaginal birth that they're not getting through a C-section. And so then they take a swab and they actually introduce yeah, the bacteria through the nasal right canal. After, That's my right after birth, right after delivery from the C-section. But think about that. We're, we're just touching on it now with some of these. Diseases. Yeah. I mean, can we modulate the development, the environmental problems that lead to autism through the microbiome? We're just touching on the tip of that. It's an un, it, it, we, we're right there at the surface. We have no idea. And so this is a wow. really great exciting project that I'm involved in. And I also want to say a lot of people may want to follow up on what I'm saying. So Pills Bioscience for your, for your listeners and your, your followers is really part of Nova Life Science Corporation. So Pills was recently uh, acquired by Nova, a public Canadian company. So we're really under, we're a division of Nova Life Science Corp. And the stock symbol in Canada is NOVA. The stock symbol in the U.S. is LIBFF, Frank Frank, okay. LIB, Bravo, Frank Frank. But all of this is online. We back it up scientifically. Um, are, any questions you have? As I, I don't know, maybe it was Plato who said, or maybe it was Socrates who said, there are no stupid questions, only stupid answers. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love when you say so, that, Dr. Uh, I, I, so I back up everything scientifically. Uh, uh, challenge me. You have listeners or, or readers who want to challenge the stuff we're doing. We'll, we'll back it up. We're not afraid. That's awesome. That's awesome. Evidence-based journalism, evidence-based content. Uh, you know, that's definitely the, the crux and the foundation of what I'm trying to do here with this podcast and the content I create and bringing experts like yourself here into the, into the mix to talk about the exciting work that you're doing. Um, and so, yeah, of course, like, you know, you guys heard Dr. Hausman say, you're all the listeners, you're all welcome to, to reach out, uh, you know, where to reach Dr. Hausman. You can reach us at info at microdose.buzz. Uh, please ask us questions. Please challenge these very uh, interesting and deep rabbit holes that we're going down. And that's, you know, how science works and how we have stimulating and intellectual discussion and learn from each other. So that's exciting. I was going to actually ask you about Nova Mentis and Nova Life Science. So it's really exciting to know that, you know, uh, about the takeover and that they're, they're public and a lot of really big players are going public in this space right now. Uh, so I'd love to know a little bit more about your team. I know that you work with a lot of other really skilled scientists like yourself and uh, what the day-to-day -day kind of looks like for you guys, you know, um, working oh, on this at the cutting edge. We're growing every day. Uh, some of it is still a little confidential. What we've made an announcement is uh, I mentioned Dr. Viviana Trezor, who was a professor in the Department of Science uh, at uh, Trey University in Rome. She's one of the world experts on autism and the autistic VPA model. So she's now on our, she's now a consultant to the company. We have Dr. Julia Paradiri, who's a neuroscientist from Oregon Health Sciences University and UCLA School of Medicine. Uh, she's done work in the past on autism. Uh, we, we, we now uh, have a consultant, um, uh, Dr. Kyle Ambert, 
who is one of the who's a foremost uh, artificial intelligence expert. Uh, his expertise is in machine learning and deep learning. Uh, let me give you an example what that is. If you have, say, 20 sheets of paper in parallel floating in the air, and there's data on each sheet, let's say 20 different data points, 20 times 20, think of the number of variables there, mm -hmm. and then you want to look at data point number 10 and see how it changes relative to the data point number 111. Right. He, that's called, you know, that's Google Analytics and machine learning. He's an expert on that. So when we have these markers in the microbiome, 50, 100 markers, have cytokines, 50, 100 cytokines, behavioral changes, he can set up the artificial intelligence to analyze all this for us. And he is our consultant. And he just be, he got a promotion now. He is a director at Nike Corporation. So we're very proud of our relationship wow. with him. So this is what, what has been changing on a regular basis. We're also starting to manufacture uh, these derivatives. And you'll hear more about it. We want to be the first company in the world to have an entourage formulation of derivatives from mushrooms, psychedelic derivatives. All of that is ongoing, and you'll hear about it um, in, in a regular basis over the next three to four weeks. That's really interesting. First of all, congratulations. You have a really dynamic and an all-star team of scientists that you're working with and uh, experts. And I have no doubt that you guys are going to continue doing really amazing groundbreaking research. Uh, I think it's really cool that you talk about the entourage effect, but then you talk about the derivatives, you know, and uh, in my mind, that's a really interesting combination because I guess the way I've thought about psychedelic derivatives, it's like a very single molecule synthetic sort of approach versus when I think of entourage effect, of course, cannabis or all the different alkaloids and mushrooms. Uh, how do the, where do those two worlds meet? How, how does the entourage effect and synthetic derivatives, how do they come together? You got to start someplace, right? I mean, in nature, it's complex. <laughs> so in order to prove the entourage effect to the, uh, you know, some of the rules of the game are promoted by politics and by government. Mm -hmm. The rules of the game in the psychedelic industry right now are the regulatory authorities. They want to show an effect of a 95% or pure molecule. So you can't do that in nature right now. You have to do it synthetically. Correct. So my approach to the entourage effect is to play by the rules of the game. Create three to four compounds that are 95 to 99% pure and show that the whole is more effective than the parts. Then oh. go to the next level within the food space, the kingdom, and then extract out the molecules I'm looking at and show it again. So another company we're dealing with confidentially is developing extraction technology. Then the next level, I'm giving you my whole chess game, is going to be delivery technology. No one's thinking about that. How do you deliver this? Right. 
Do you inject it? Do you eat it? Do you use it intranasally? Do you go through, you can do a suppository through the rectum, maybe an autistic child who doesn't want to swallow pills. That's another part of the ball game. Yeah. Wow. And so, how, how do we deliver psilocybin? Right. Right now, it's just oral. Is that That's the a prodrug? So uh, it, it kind of needs to be. It kind of needs to go through the liver to turn into psilocin and be active. Correct. We're going to find that out. You know what happened? Nice. We're receptors in psilocybin. As I said, uh, you know, serotonin ninety-five percent is produced in the periphery. periphery right. Is the small intestine, the liver, the pancreas, the stomach, other a lot of other organs than the brain. You know, this is where we have to look, and uh, it's exciting. And that's what we're doing in NOVA. We are combining, if you look at our chess game and the people working for us, and we've outsourced. Think of who we've outsourced. We don't have to have everybody internally. We outsourced mm -hmm. one of the largest cytokine flow cytometry companies in the world, Thermo Fisher. We've outsourced. Yeah company on microbiome genetic analysis we're outsourcing and we're insourcing by hiring the right people and um, I'm not comparing myself to other companies I you know the proof is in the pudding we'll yeah. see what well, happens in 2021 well I'm, I'm glad you said that actually because I was going to ask you to do just that you know what what makes uh, the team at Nova Mentis and uh, uh, unique and, and different from the rest. And I think you've answered that really, uh, really well, but I'd love to give you the floor to comment on it a little bit more, you know, because there are a lot of people in the space. And I have to say, this is, I think this is my 12th episode of the Sci-Fi Podcast now. Uh, I've had the, the pleasure to speak with some really dynamic and amazing people. Uh, you guys are definitely taking a very unique approach. Uh, and I think that's amazing. You know, it's refreshing and it's exciting indeed. And and stay tuned, as I said. You know, it's <laughs> going to be an exciting 2021. And by the way, the the merger, uh, the acquisition by Nova of pills, we were in autism. What was interesting is that Nova has shown an interest in psychedelics, in obesity, and diabetes and a liver disease called NASH, non-alcoholic steatohepatoxicity, hepatotoxicity. Um, the, the, the information that we're developing in autism in the model with Dr. Trazer has broad application outside of autism. Could be an obesity, diabetes, type one, type two diabetes, uh, liver disease. We're just beginning our research. And so everything in life happens for a reason. Um, maybe Nova had a greater perception of the future by acquiring us. I don't think they knew exactly what we had till we're now, in, so to speak, working together. Um, sure. This could be uh, an unusual relationship now. Yeah, we're on the cusp of of such an enormous, you know, the potential for having such an enormous 
incredibly valuable new toolkit of drugs and therapies and treatments for uh, such a wide range of conditions. And, you know, a lot of people and in, in myself as well, when I write about psychedelic medicine and what it's going to treat, I often just say neuropsychiatric conditions and I move on. You know, and, and here we are talking about diabetes and autism and IBS and so many other applications of, of, of psychedelic medicine. And not only the ability to treat them, but through trying to discover these treatments, we're learning so much more about the pathology and ourselves and what makes us human. And for example, that was so fascinating what you talked to me about C-section versus a vaginal birth and the, how the microbiome is related to that, you know? And so there's so many intersections and so many possibilities to come up with revolutionary and radically effective new treatments. Uh, and, and you guys are really on the, at the cusp of all of it. So uh, what, what a place to be and what a time to be alive, huh? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. In the pharmaceutical industry, I'm excited about the future for our company. I'm not predicting what's going to happen, but our technology could be applicable to some of the biggest pharmaceutical companies. Uh, and then you see that in your own space, all these acquisitions. You know, mm -hmm. when I see acquisitions, I look and see why is a company acquiring another company? Is it that the original company doesn't have the technology that the second company has? Yeah. Is there a lot of fluff? There's not enough meat on the bones? Uh, do we have to start looking for other technology when we start a company? We have to rev up our engines by acquiring other technology. It's funny. I just watched a movie last night, Ford versus Ferrari. Oh, yeah? How was it? <laughs> oh, it was wonderful. My wife had told me to watch it. I, I love NASCAR, and I, I love watching the, the car races. And, and he, yeah. uh, Ford, wants to catch up to Ferrari. So... They go to try to acquire Ferrari, and they get turned down. So the acquisition <laughs> fails. Then they say, well, maybe we have to win Le Mans. And they go ahead and get one, two, three winning in Le Mans. And that's how they showed who they were. Well, maybe that analogy applies to our industry as well. Oh, man, that's really awesome. Uh, Dr. Hosman, thank you so much. As we're coming to a close in our discussion here, I like to always give my guests the last word, uh, a thought, a message that you want to share with our audience about yourself, what you're up to, the future, or anything you want to. Uh, the floor is yours. Thank you. Well, you know, I'm getting old. Uh, you know, <laughs> I had a good life. Um, I had a huge practice in, in pediatric kidney surgery at UCLA and Cedars. Uh, and you go into this world with you, come into the world with your name and you leave with your name. You don't leave with anything else. Sure. And if I could leave a legacy for healthcare with my name in autism spectrum disorder, that would be one of my greatest accomplishments. I think that's a really noble pursuit. Uh, my, my best friend and, you know, my he's my roommate freshman year of college and when we're still very close, Dominic Vita, he's about to get his PhD studying Fragile X syndrome, uh, you know, at Vanderbilt. And so uh, it's been really uh, inspirational just to see his dedication and, you know, PhD students, they, they work so hard. But it's it's been really great to see his passion for, for autism. And of course, like you said, it's uh, kind of like so many other things today. It's usually just one degree of separation. You know, we all know somebody. Uh, if not immediately in our family that's affected by this. Um, and it would be so amazing 
to to get to that next breakthrough in in treatments, you know, and, and therapies for uh, people with autism and and beyond, like you talked about diabetes, IBS, uh, and of course the neuropsychiatric uh, indications that we're exploring. And so, yeah, uh, this has been such an amazing conversation. Of course, I look forward to the next one. I know we'll have so many more. Uh, and I'm so thankful for your time. Thank you for coming on the show and you know connecting with me, uh, you know, so we can have this great chat. It just reminded me of something. I just thought of something. Yes, how I could. Sure. I'm willing to help any way I can. <clears throat> knowledge, communication and knowledge is beautiful for people. People have to become their own advocates. You have to be your own advocate. You know, yeah, you know, you have doctors out there, but they don't call you to see how you are. They only see you when you're sick. And that's an important role. I'm a doctor. But you have to advocate all the time for yourself. And we just hired an, a lady who in our uh, public relations department, uh, her name, first name is Tara, T-A-R-A, and she's available. So if people want to write to you, it would take the pressure off me, but through Tara, we could have an ongoing blog. If people have specific questions on diabetes, heart disease, how it applies to tryptamine derivatives and psychoth this could be fun. It's a give and take yeah. knowledge. And I'd love to help if I can. Well, that's awesome. And absolutely, we've only scratched the surface. So uh, like like you said, I, I encourage everyone listening to reach out with questions, comments uh, that you guys have so we can explore these exciting topics further. And, you know, you can reach out uh, to Dr. Hausman and you're obviously welcome to reach out to me at uh, info at microdose.buzz. You can find this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. And uh, yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Hausman. Uh, this has been another great episode of the Sci-Fi Podcast, where we connect with leading industry experts, researchers, and clinicians to unravel the mystery that is psychedelic science. I was here with Dr. Marvin Hausman today, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you so much. Thank Dr. you. I'm proud to be part of your help, your organization, and part of your what you're trying to promote to the world in health. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. That's our pleasure. Thank you so much, Dr. Hausman. Thanks for joining the Sci-Fi Series, brought to you by Microdose and The Conscious Fund. Visit our website at www.microdose.buzz.